The following episode contains spoilers. Hello, Internet, and welcome back. It has been forever. Uh, we are back with As Good As They Say. We're looking at Hollywood Reporter's Top 100 Films as polled by Hollywood in 2014. I am your host, Connor, and today with me, I have another new co-host. Uh, he is a buddy from school, fellow uh, film production person and general media guy, and also makes all of our thumbnails and graphic design stuff for the show. So this is Zach, everyone. Hello, my name's Zach. I do graphic design and movies. I love them. That's good. It, it's helpful to love movies when we have to talk about them for like an hour. Yeah, it makes it a little easier to like sound like you know what you're talking about, even if you don't. <laughs> Which is the goal here, to lie about our competence. Oh, yes. That's why I go to school. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so we are talking today about number 93 on the list, Close Encounters of the Third Kind from Steven Spielberg. Uh, originally released in 1977, uh, it received two later releases, a special edition cut in 1980, and then a final director's cut in 98. As far as reception goes, uh, received fairly well. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 96% with critics, an average review of 8.9 out of 10, and that's from 57 reviews. Uh, an audience give it an 87% with an average of 3.7 stars out of 5. So it's a good movie by the standards of the people. Yeah, I would agree with most of those. I think it was a pretty <laughs> pretty solid film as like science fiction goes. Yeah. Uh, the critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is deeply humane sci-fi exploring male obsession, cosmic mysticism, and music. All of those things are present. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Metacritic has it at a 90 out of 100. Uh, it's only got 10 critic reviews there, but the user score is 7.8 out of 10, and there are a ton of those. <laughs> yeah, so usually when they get that many people, it tends to be a pretty accurate vote. Yeah, I, Metacritic always has a very small amount of, of critic reviews for older stuff. They don't seem to aggregate the old stuff as much as Rotten Tomatoes. Well, I assume most of the older reviews were done in, like, paper, and they probably don't want to yeah. go scrounge through libraries for reviews in old papers <laughs> or something. Fine, don't put in the effort. <laughs> as far as awards go, uh, so this film had eight Oscar nominations. Best Director, Best Cinematography, uh, Best Supporting Actress for Melinda Dillon, uh, Visual Effects, art direction, original music score, film editing, and sound. It only won cinematography, though. I mean, I understand why it won cinematography, but I'm surprised things like music score or something didn't get into the uh, effects, or the visual effects even. Like, I know it was released the same year or close to Star Wars, so I understand the difference there, but still, the the UFOs in this movie are super well done, yeah. especially for the 1970s. Or, like, sound. Just, just, like, not even music, just sound, you know? Yeah. Everything sounded super realistic. It was great. But. Yeah, it did. Um, it received uh, nominations at the BAFTAs and the Golden Globes as well for categories among that. Uh, the only win it got out of those was Best Production Design at the BAFTAs. So the British appreciated it. I wonder if I wonder if the what the British appreciated more if it was the mashed potatoes or the giant statue of the mountain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the mashed potatoes because. Uh, it speaks to their, their bland cultural cuisine. Oh, yes, that, that does. <laughs> um, so as far as the actual plot, um, there's essentially kind of two converging plots, both about aliens making contact with Earth, 
We have uh, a suburban father named Roy Neary who uh, has a close encounter uh, while he's out driving and becomes obsessed with the aliens. Uh, meanwhile, we have government officials from around the world also investigating these encounters, and they come to a head when uh, they all meet at uh, a remote location in uh, the Western United States, and the aliens come down and make, like, proper contact, and everyone is there. Oh, yes, and it was glorious, the proper contact, let me tell you. And, that, and that's, that's basically the gist of it. Uh, for those who might not know, the title... Uh, comes from uh, a system for describing alien encounters, which close encounters. So the first kind, the second kind, and the third kind are the main scale. Some people have expanded it to like seven, but that's when you get into like, like one of those is like having sex with and reproducing with the aliens. <laughs> yeah, so there's not as much like potential scientific background information or anything on that kind of stuff, which there isn't on any of it, but still like... That's like that's like fandom sort of yeah, situation. But uh first the the first kind is visual, uh the second kind is physical evidence, and then the third kind is like genuine contact. As such, this movie is Which all I don't know about I don't know about you, Connor, but the fourth kind always terrifies me, so I think the third kind would be like my max. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the fourth kind abduction? Yeah, it's yeah. like abduction and like when they probe you and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we I'm I'm good. They, they contact you physically. I'm good if we stop at three. <laughs> yeah. there's uh, a fourth kind movie unrelated there is uh, you're right scary. i remember that um so we watched uh the director's cut the the final cut which basically has the changes from the special edition that people enjoyed but uh it takes out some mothership stuff in the special edition uh there were interior shots of the mothership and then in the director's cut spielberg in retrospect is like that kills a little bit of mystery so he took them out of this cut yeah, and I think that's something that works really well in science fiction movies. Especially. Yeah, you got to keep a little mystery. Yeah. So I think that worked. Yeah, because if people know exactly what it looks like, it's less fantastical than what they have in mind. So if you just don't show them anything, they imagine it all, and it's all magical and great. Right. Yeah, sometimes your imagination will create anything better than another person could. Now, uh, I had not seen this film before, and I you hadn't either, I believe? Uh, I think I had seen like bits and pieces just on YouTube or like in clips, but I had never seen the full movie. Okay, all right. So this was first time for both of us. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, just quick summary. I mean, pretty good time for both of us. Um, yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, you're a, you're a big sci-fi guy, which is why this is one I wanted to bring you in for. Yeah, I, science fiction is my favorite. Yeah, no, it was cool. Um, so getting into characters, need to shift gears and get a little serious for a second. So the main character, Roy Neary, is played by Richard Dreyfuss. And uh, for those who are not aware, this is the first episode the show is doing in kind of the post-Harvey Weinstein Hollywood, where a lot of names are coming out uh, with for sexual misconduct, either new stories or old stories being revisited. And it is worth noting that um, Richard Dreyfuss has been accused of some sexual misconduct in 1987, uh, according to a writer named Jessica, I don't know if it's Teach or Teich. Uh, it's she, Teach. Yeah, she claims that... Um, while they were working together on, I believe it was a, a like a bigger scale like TV movie, uh, he repeatedly sexually harassed her and at one point exposed himself to her. Uh, Dreyfus has denied exposing himself. Uh, he claims that anything he said uh, to her was, in his eyes, just flirting. And uh, I think he had a quote along the lines of, he now is re-examining every relationship or flirting encounter he's had. I want to talk about this Hollywood stuff in more detail in kind of a separate little mini episode, but just as a quick summary, we wanted to make it known that it's happening. You know, we 
unless there's any proof to show otherwise, we are siding with the accusers and the victims because, unfortunately, it's more than likely true most of the time because Hollywood has always been sort of gross, unfortunately. And we've elected to keep going with this film. If knowing that about Dreyfus makes you not want to watch it, I understand. Uh, We've elected to continue with it. And again, in the mini episode, I'll talk about exactly how that's being pieced out. But wanted to get that out of the way. Anyways, <laughs> now let's talk about the sci-fi movie. <laughs> uh, cheery. Um, so Dreyf- also cheery. <laughs> Dreyfus plays uh, a man named Roy Neary. He is a family man, uh, just a suburban father uh, with a wife and a few kids. He's just like an electrician or an engineer or something. One day while he is out just driving in his truck, uh, he has an encounter with the UFO. It affects the electronics in his car. Things move around, shines his lights through his windows, and uh, he ends up chasing after it. And it leads him to become very obsessive. The film shows it's actually, like, implanted in his mind, like, information from the aliens. Yeah, it, it leads to some very interesting encounters he has with human beings as well as aliens. Yeah, because he starts meeting other people who've had the encounters, and then you've also got the people who didn't, and, you know, they think... Just watch him yeah. as he's throwing <laughs> things through his kitchen window. Yeah, you know, in, in all fairness, like, as much as, like, from an audience perception, like, well, we know it actually happened, everything he does does also kind of speak to crazy person. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> um but eventually he starts having visions of this place uh, in the West called Devil's Tower, like a big rock formation. Uh, he's drawing it and sculpting it. Um, it's just imprinted in his mind. Uh, his family life falls apart as he becomes obsessive. His uh, wife takes the kids and leaves him. And he ends up just saying, screw it, and going out to Devil's Tower. Yeah, <laughs> Abandoning his family yeah. is the best <laughs> part of this movie. Because <laughs> along the way, he meets a woman named Jillian, who uh, her, her son was abducted. That's one of the big scenes in the movie, is her son being abducted. And she's also having the same visions, because she was there when the aliens appeared. And they meet, and they, like, I guess they fall in love? I don't even know if it's in love. They just, like... They're just happy to have someone else who is in the same position, so they, like, grow super close. Because they always say, like, you don't grow f- closest in, like, happy situations. You yeah. You grow, like, closest in the scary situations. They're, like, kiss and junk. It was weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was real quick. They knew each other for, like, maybe less than a couple days. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he uh, and Jillian are the only two of the people who go to Devil's Tower to actually make it to the government site where they're preparing for the aliens. So he gets to see them land um and he chooses to actually join the crew of astronauts who are leaving with the aliens to learn about them and uh yeah he he straight up abandons his family <laughs> um it's worth noting spielberg has said when he made this film he did not have his family he did not have his he was not married or anything yet and he thinks that if he had had his family when this film was made roy would not have abandoned his which makes sense. He didn't have the personal experience and yeah. know how attached he would become to his own family. Yeah, but um, it's a really good, um, obsessive, going crazy performance. The mashed potato mountain scene, like as funny as it is to be like, you know, he's just making things out of mashed potatoes. Like that's actually or, like a really like subtle but like intense scene where like everyone's kind of crying because they all know what's going on. Like all the children are crying, the wife's crying. It's a very intense scene. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he uh. His, like, like happy excitedness, too, is also, like, very, like, convincing and crazed, but in, uh, 
I mean, again, as the audience, we're all like, well, yeah, there were aliens. <laughs> um, <laughs> I believe you, crazy man. Yeah. Potatoes. Um, but, you know, other people, you know, there's, I mean, one, it sounds crazy by itself. And then you've got people who, like, say they saw the aliens. There's that one guy who's like, and I saw Bigfoot once. And it's like, no, dude, don't don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> don't include that one. You're discrediting yourself by yourself. Okay. <laughs> so then... um. The, uh, the other kind of lead on the civilian side is a uh, Melinda Dillon playing Jillian Geiler, uh, who she was also she was the one who was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. Yes, yeah, she, she has this little son named Barry, who's like a toddler-esque age. Uh, he's abducted, and we see that it's giving her all the same visions as Roy. They end up reuniting Roy and her on the way to Devil's Tower, actually. Like, I, they were going there separately, and they run into each other. Because um, it's at that train station, I remember, they find each other. Yeah, and that's when, like, the military started coming in. Yeah, and they're, like, lying about, like, the gas leak or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Um, she does get to reunite with her son at the end, because when the aliens arrive, they uh, release anyone they have abducted over years, as we see. Yeah, from, like, the bombers who disappeared during World War Two. Yeah, I, I really like that they incorporated, like, a lot of, like, famous disappearances into this. Amelia Earhart was one, right? Was Amelia there? <laughs> I th- I feel like she was. Like, it would make sense. It, yeah, I don't I don't remember all the names. I admittedly hadn't heard of a lot of the, the historical events in and of themselves anyways. So I was just like, oh, okay, we're just picking disappearances out. But yeah, they're, they're kind of our two main civilian front uh, on the alien side of things. And you see Jillian's character is a little... While she's having all the same, like, kind of visions and feelings, she's more apprehensive. Like, when they get to the the alien site, she's, like, there's a point when she's, like, I can stay here. I don't need to go any farther. While Roy is just, like, I'm going to run into the landing platform. (laughs) (laughs) I need to get into that ship. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, um, and again, they have, they definitely have, like, character chemistry. The, The jump to, like, making out real quick was odd. Um. Yeah, it, well, I like they they had chemistry like two good friends, two people in yeah. solidarity, not like, hey, we just met on Tinder, now let's get it on <laughs> alien uh, Tinder. On um, on the government side of things, we have a uh, uh, Francois Truffaut is playing a character named uh, Claude uh, Lacombe. Uh, French name's not positive how to say it. Um, uh, so he he is a French scientist who's working uh, with it's essentially a UN effort to look into all of this. Um, he is one of the leads to help uh, create the musical tones uh, to communicate with the aliens. Like he's the one who finds like the people who are like chanting it and then works to create it as a communication method. Uh, other people who were considered for his role were uh, Gerard Depardieu, uh, Philippe Noiret, and Jean-Louis uh, Trintignat, uh, and Lino Ventura. Also, there were a lot of other French actors who Spielberg considered, but he ended up on Truffaut, which, I mean, is super cool because Truffaut is also a famous director. Yeah, and that's interesting. That's like getting like Ron Howard to be in your movie, I guess. Yeah, well, it's also worth noting, this is the only acting role of Truffaut in a film he was not directing. Oh, okay. So, evidently, he, uh, he believed in the script because outside of this, he apparently wouldn't be in it if he didn't write it. And he also, it mentions he used um, the free time of this production to actually work on a script of his for uh, The Man Who Loved Women. Uh, so, oh, okay. always working. Yeah. Um, but he's really cool. We talked about this uh, when we first watched it. It's really nice that most of the government figures in this movie are not like, we've got to kill the aliens. 
Yeah, they they don't quite know what to do though. Yeah, um, but I appreciate that like the scientists who want to learn are like given the forefront. Yeah, and it's not just like get off our planet. Yeah, and it's also not like the crazy scientist who's like the like if the aliens were evil, it's not like these are the scientists who are like, but we can learn from them. This is just like benevolent aliens <laughs> and benevolent scientists. It's the perfect world that never exists. Exactly. And then Truffaut's character has uh, a partner, uh, David Laughlin, played by Bob Balaban. Uh, he's a former cartographer who works with Lacombe, and they're kind of just a tag team in their research. He's the one who, like, figures out how to map where they're going. There's that scene when they roll, like, the really expensive globe in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That that scene made me laugh really hard. Yeah, because it's like, that globe costs, like, some ridiculous amount of money, and we're like, why? <laughs> I think it was, like, $10,000. Yeah, and it's I, like... I remember, like, you get a car for that. I know, it's like, it. it's big, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Is it made of gold? Uh, <laughs> but it was also interesting that these characters, who are, you know, just scientists, were also the people in charge of interrogating the civilians. Like, they are the ones who interrogate Roy when he's caught the first time. Yeah, instead of, like, it being some sort of shady government agent or something. Yeah, because, like, we get, like, one general who kind of gets a little more screen time. And, like, again, he's not, like, the aliens suck. He's just also, like, get rid of the civilians. They're like, no, we should talk to them and figure out what's going on. Yeah, they were pretty much just in charge of, like, keeping a perimeter almost. Like, there wasn't really any ulterior motives. Yeah, which is reasonable. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, That's kind of the main story driving characters. Uh, You also have, you know, Richard Dreyfuss' family... But they, their purpose is basically to go, dad is crazy, and leave eventually. Um, yeah, they don't have a lot of personal choices they get to make. In fact, I think I remember saying that the wife was, like, extremely cold, extremely quickly. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that was one thing. We, we like, I understood why she was upset as, like, a concept, but I thought she jumped from, it's okay, honey, to, you're tearing us apart really quickly. You are tearing me apart, Lisa, maybe? Maybe. Tommy Wiseau was, he took uh, inspiration. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau is an alien. <laughs> Honestly, he's probably one of the aliens from the ship and it got left behind. <laughs> so, um, not necessarily a character, but it's worth noting. So, the song, the the famous five-note melody. Uh, so, John Williams did the score of this because it's a Steven Spielberg film and who else would do the music for it? They're best buds. Um, apparently, he went through around 300 versions of this five-note tone. Damn, uh, he had a vision. Yeah, well, it was it was apparently just him and Spielberg, like just sitting down and like John's like I made these and they just listened until Stephen and he agreed like that one. That one's perfect. Um, and Spielberg described the tone as when you wish upon a star uh, meets sci-fi, which uh, I like that because there is kind of that like it, it's it's very whimsical for something being played on like a government eighty synth keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the the famous thing. Um, along with that, so we were talking about the effects are fantastic. Yeah, like whenever you look at older science fiction films, you get things like Star Trek from like the fifties, or like even I don't know. Like I guess Alien had good effects too, but like I guess like nineteen seventy five is when special effects started to really get good because mm-hmm. they figured out like uh, ILM had go motion for like stop motion that would include some sort of uh, like motion blur make your models look more realistic but those the ufos in this film i think were entirely rotoscoped and painted on and they were they were great yeah sort of optical printer yeah they're super good and I, I think like the mothership model is still at some like museum or like a studio uh, in california um they look really good like 
especially like when they're in even when they're in motion or they're just like hovering like the lighting effects are all really nice like it just feels like they exist they actually are in that world where they're filming yeah it's great which is really important um i'm honestly a little sad that like the mothership isn't like a more iconic like spaceship in like our modern sci-fi pop culture i think it used to exist on like the disney backlot tour for a while because like He's like friendly with Disney. He's not like I have exclusivity with Universal. Right, I'm right. Pretty sure, that's cool. Because they they had like the flight of the Navigator, and they had a couple other spaceships, and I'm pretty sure that it was one of them. Okay, that's cool. And then uh, some of the there's a, a lot of practical effects for the alien encounters, particularly when Roy is in his truck and first has his encounter, and when Barry is abducted. The amount of like shit that's moving around in the truck or in the house is just insane because it's all, like, physically moving. So the amount of effort to just have, like, moving parts behind the scenes. Yeah, it would have involved a lot of special setups that would have taken so long to design. Just super cool. Um, the tension is fantastic in those scenes, too. Yeah, and the the colors of the scene when Barry gets abducted is great. The sky is, like, that nice, like, orangish-red. Mm-hmm. There's, like, lightning. Yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of orange and blue when they're playing with the alien, like, lighting effects. Um, which is really cool because, like, since, you know, they, they have that, like, complementary contrast and it's just, like, you know, both of those scenes are at night. So, like, that is the main light sources for, like, all of them. Yeah. And it's just super cool, like, very eerie. Like, you get, like, just, like, streaks of light coming through windows and especially just, you know, w- when you're lighting a scene with essentially just, like, direct spotlights, like, that could easily just look, like, weird and, and stupid. <laughs> Just to, like, go for it was really, really cool. I really loved the way it looked. Um, And just, like, the vacuum, like, running around and, like, things, like, falling out of, like, the glove compartment in the truck. Like, it all just, like, really builds up. And for Roy, it's really great because his builds up to, like, nothing. Like, when it's over, it just ends. Yeah, but then he looks at his clock and time has passed. Yeah, which is a great little touch uh, from, like, real uh, abduction stories of lost time. Uh, Plus, he's got his radiation burns. On the half of his face. Yeah, although I will, yeah. I will still contest that I think from scene to scene they applied the the burn makeup like lighter and darker than was meant to. Like there were times when I'm like, it looks darker now, it looks lighter now. Wait, it's darker again. <laughs> uh, Sounds like their uh, their script supervisor didn't do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very small note, though. Um, so the actual aliens, because we do get to see some at the end. Uh, Which I I wish we didn't get to see the aliens personally, I, but. So, I, I think we agreed on this. I was okay with the first alien, the really lanky, skinny one. Yeah, the ones that weren't just, like, the normal little grays. Yeah, like, that one was like, oh, that's weird and creepy. And if that was the only alien I saw, I'd be like, that's cool. But then a bunch of, like, little grays run out that are clearly children and or little people in costume. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is um, this is less good, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Or even if you had only seen, like, didn't we see, like, a shot of the alien, like, at, like, the control panel when the mothership was landing? Yeah. Like, that, even that would have been okay. But, yeah, the the ones that are just physical people were a little little too much for me. Uh, I, I think you, you could have pulled those back. But, I mean, that scene is still, like, really incredible. Just, like, the backlighting of, like, the opening ship and then all the abductees slowly wandering out. And they have, like, their roster of, like, hey, what's your name? All right, he's here. Um... <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was cool. Uh, I really did. Those those historical uh, disappearances were a really great touch. And really, like, 
like it, it's a seminal sci-fi film, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I do think, yeah, because Star Wars was at the same time, they kind of get lost in the same breath. And, you know, one of them has a longer impact, you know, which is fine. Well, this this film definitely was swallowed up by the monster that became Star Wars. Yeah. Um, like. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it got swept up. I mean, no one, you know, before Star Wars was out, though, if you going into that, like, that year, if someone's like, there's this sci-fi movie from Steven Spielberg coming out, and there's this sci-fi movie, something about a space fight, you know, I think people would have expected <laughs> Close Encounters to be the bigger hit, but then Star Wars was Star Wars. Yeah. Um, well, plus, like, before that, science fiction films were mostly thought as just being for children because, like, they were fantastical. It was things like Flash Gordon. Or- yeah, this is when this is when sci-fi, and, and sci-fi literature also was starting to take its turns um, around this time. Now, unfortunately, after Star Wars, sci-fi would continue to try and be a lot of Star Wars ripoffs. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen a few of them. I think there's a few that you can watch on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 oh, that they do narrations sure. over. <laughs> of films that are, like, made the year after Star Wars that, like, tried to imitate the style, mm-hmm. but, like, it looks like they did, like, 10% of the work. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's gotten its due. Obviously, as Spielberg's name has only gotten more and more important in the film world, like, people will revisit have revisited this. It was in... um. It was in theaters uh, in October. They they they've just put it back in theaters for a while. The director's cut. Oh yeah, I remember seeing commercials for that. Right, because um, <laughs> Joe and Jamie, uh, who've both been on the show, Jamie was trying to find someone to go with, and Joe was going to see it that weekend. So they're like, "Why don't we just go to the theater together? We'll each see our movie and then hang out afterwards." <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was cool to see it came back. Um, and having watched it just like on a TV, like there's a part of it's like, "Oh man, that would have been cool on a theater screen." <laughs> Yeah, it would have been really cool. Like, especially, like, I feel like there's so many scenes in this movie that are, like, hugely impactful to science fiction in general. Like, the the toy scene when Barry's getting abducted with all the toys moving around. I've seen that parodied in almost, like, everything. Yeah. Futurama. I think it's even, like, lightly referenced in uh, Polar Express at the beginning, because when the train comes. Oh, yeah. Some of the toys turn on or whatever. Yeah. It it, it kind of feels like the the sci-fi flip side to, like, in poltergeist like with the clown and stuff yeah like it all it feels like that's like the horror equivalent but yeah it's it's really cool um can you imagine if this had been like an imax film oh this would be amazing as an imax uh, yeah film. like the mothership landing in like 70 millimeter would have been incredible <laughs> oh geez they would have needed some intense like modeling though if they oh, <laughs> very true. That they can do it though <laughs> yeah they probably could do it so you um, brought this up when we were watching it um, that uh, the early uh, UFO chase scene when we see Roy and also the police chasing them down has some uh, some real life parallels to uh, our neck of the woods actually. <laughs> yeah so uh, I'm from a little county in Ohio called Portage County and uh, this movie has a chase scene in it. Uh, where the police are chasing a UFO for what seems to be like like dozens to hundreds of miles. And it's actually based off of a real-life police report from Ohio, uh, Atwater, Ohio in 1966, which would have been about 10 years before the movie came out. So that's actually like really relatively close. Yeah. And what happened was a, a police officer saw these lights flying down the road. And they thought it was a car, and so they chased after it. And it like was just lights, so they chased it. Uh, across the state line into Pennsylvania, and that's probably about a good hour's drive. So he followed it for like a good like a hundred miles before he lost it. And I think that's really cool because like 
Portage County for the longest time was actually one of the highest like UFO sightings in the Midwest for up until like the mid 2000s or something. And I think that's really cool that like something so big from where we live took place in a, such a large film as Close Encounters. Yeah, I, it's super cool. Like I, I had no idea about that. And I love when like movie like sci-fi and horror do that. Like the amount of like horror movies uh, you can look up like oh this crazy like supernatural killer and you like go to like the Wikipedia and it's like based on real life. It's like oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's really cool to see something sci-fi like this happen. Um, you know, especially just with uh, you know UFO sightings being this thing that like always get brought up and you know there's la- layers of conspiracy. There's layers of proof fake proof and it's it's really cool it's a good rabbit hole to dive to dive into if you liked this movie <laughs> uh, oh yeah and i know i know that's what that's a rabbit hole you dive into often <laughs> oh yeah too often sometimes um so uh just some little things you want to talk about um throughout the film you uh especially in the scenes with barry you would just go man kids are creepy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the direction was given to the little kid who played Barry, but like every every scene he was in, he just creeped me out. Well, and I just like chills down my spine because it's the <laughs> it's the classic thing of like the kid who doesn't know the aliens are bad or doesn't know the monster is bad and is just like, oh, it's like a, a friend coming to visit. And in this case, the aliens aren't bad. So, but then he like runs on his own will out the door yeah. to the aliens and gets abducted like yeah. by on yeah. purpose. Apparently, though, uh, I think you were telling me this like it was in the IMDb trivia. Like the kid who played Barry was apparently like great. Yeah, uh, like he like he was just like one take and he's done, which is awesome. I love I love little stories of like kid actors who are just really good. <laughs> yeah, especially because I feel like kid actors are the hardest to, to cast for because like the kid has to really be into acting and I feel like most kids just want to like play. Yeah, and I and you know I'm never I, I'm never really one to like give kid actors a lot of crap because like for all I know like they don't super want to do this or like they were like a, you know a badly directed kid actor will be terrible whereas like a badly directed like adult actor who's been doing this for a while might know better and like be able to get around the direction yeah so i would i mean but again like in his scenes hey his abduction scenes were tense so i guess the creepiness added to it <laughs> oh yeah I, I can't imagine him being like a crying kid in those scenes so i guess that is probably the best choice they could have made and then um when they're when they're on the mountain there were two things i wanted to bring up one there's a point when uh the government gasses the mountain because some of the civilians like Roy and uh, Jillian have gotten away. And I remember we were for a long time going, is that going to kill them or knock them out? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually have any confirmation until I read a plot summary that called it knockout gas. Yeah, I just thought 100% they were trying to like kill anyone on that mountain. Just like, oh, they're here. Fuck them. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then um, remember that part when they're walking up like a, a 20 degree slope and they keep falling. <laughs> <laughs> I keep slipping. These shoes are too. I shouldn't have worn my bowling shoes to the mountain. <laughs> it's like we're in we're like we're in the desert. So it's not muddy. Like they just kept it's falling. Dry. And it was just like I think it was because that's when they were gassing and they wanted some tension. But I'm like. All you need to do is have extended shots of them running. Like, I don't know how big this mountain is. You can lie to me with the camera. <laughs> extended shots of the mountain or find a, a hill that's slightly steeper. Yeah. Because I guarantee there was a... They filmed it on location, right? Uh, I think that part they did, yeah. So they could have found a wall of rocks that was slightly bigger <laughs> than 20 degrees slope. They're like, eh, I'm fucking tired yeah. today. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, and it- Steve, is this fine? <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's not like uh, it's not like she was in heels either. Like, and they're both slipping. It was it was weird. Yeah, um, and he was just wearing like what work like boots that uh, are, yeah. should be good for climbing. Yeah, I was just genuinely confused. <laughs> um, so um, that is that is all the specifics I wanted to touch on uh, before we kind of do final thoughts. Was there uh, there anything we didn't bring up that you wanted to jump on? Not really. I, I know that the, the mashed potato scene really stuck with me because I don't know if there's any other movies that I've seen where they've used some sort of food, like that kind of food as a large plot item. Yeah, yeah. Outside of like a movie about food. Like that was, it, it is weird how impactful that scene is when on paper the description is he's going to make a mashed potato sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that and uh, I wanted to talk about like how a lot of this movie I looked up was actually shot uh on a soundstage like they didn't shoot very much on location and i thought that was really interesting considering there's so many like outside shots yeah like when they're on when they're on the hill watching the ufos that was shot on a soundstage wow i i remember when we were watching you were like asking me you were like that might be a painting and i'm like i don't know and wow that is weird to know it was it was mostly i mean that's impressive at at that point like I want to know if it was done out of necessity or if it was done out of just like cost yeah that's that's a good question but like Either way, like, I think if you can make a soundstage look like a convincing outdoor scene like that uh, for a lot of the movie, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Zach, there are there are two questions I have to ask you. One is the broader question of the show, uh, and one is a follow-up. So the broader question is, Zach, given what we watched, what we've said, and uh, the critics' reviews and the audience reception, uh, do you think Close Encounters of the Third Kind is as good as they say? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's as good as they say. I'd give it a solid two thumbs up yeah. on that scale. I think it's real solid. Um, do you think fil- number 93 is too low, perhaps, on a list of 100 films? Uh, maybe. I, I, haven't, I haven't read the full list in a while, but I definitely think that it, at least in, like, the 70s, maybe. Like, not like... Not like top ten level because there's there's way better films than the top ten, but I definitely think there's probably a few things that it could knock out of the way. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I I I think I'm actually there with you. Uh, I really like this movie. I, I liked it actually a little more than I thought I might. I just I wasn't sure exactly how I'd feel about it going in. Um, like I figured I would enjoy it, but I liked it a lot actually. Yeah, having spent more time at the list, I think 93 is a little low. I think for a Spielberg sci-fi film that lives up to being a Spielberg sci-fi film, uh, I think you could shuffle some things around. Uh, in particular, uh, Zach, there's a certain film on this list that is in the 60s, uh, number 67, uh, and um, that is that is James Cameron's Avatar. Avatar is number 67, and this is number 93. <laughs> yeah, so Zach, uh, I just I just want to double check with you. Uh, do you think uh, do you think this film's better than Avatar? I definitely think this one's better than Avatar. <laughs> Avatar is just like what uh, Pocahontas, but with aliens. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the eternal question of the show until we finally hit Avatar, which is why is anything ranked lower <laughs> than Avatar? I wonder. They must have voted so much harder on visuals in that film than story because, like, the story is just non-existent. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, that episode's going to be interesting. <laughs> um, uh, that aside, though, um, that's uh, that's about all for us. So, uh, Zach, uh, where can the people find you on the internet?s uh, I, my Twitter is at Z Goldinger. I don't tweet all that often, but I sometimes do, and they're occasionally funny. Uh, also, I have a YouTube channel. I believe it is Odeon Productions on YouTube, usually where I post most of my uh, 
college short films or anything I else want to do. Uh, I, I'm right now, I'm working on a couple short films. I don't know where they'll be posted, but I can, I'm sure I'll tweet about them when they're coming out. Oh, yeah, dude, do, do it. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure the show uh, retweets that. Try to I like to show what the co-hosts are doing. As always, awesome. you can find the show uh, on Facebook, as good as they say, Movie Podcast. Uh, it's a small thing. All the titles will say Movie Podcast now just because I was reorganizing some things, and that seemed like a good idea. Search engine optimization. <laughs> hey, search engine optimization is the greatest way to get viewers. Yeah. Um, we are on Twitter at good as they say. Um, as I, I always say, it is my forever shame that someone has beaten me to at as good as they say. Um, <laughs> we are on iTunes and Google Play, uh, as well as SoundCloud. Uh, so if you look up the show in any of those places, you can find us. Uh, iTunes and Google Play get updated within like 24 hours of SoundCloud, so they shouldn't be too far behind. And you can find me on Twitter, at Connor Dedek, that's C-O-N-O-R-D-E-D-E-K. Uh, and you can also uh, email the show, uh, it's as good as they say, at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear if anyone had thoughts about the movies, what's coming up on the list, rankings. Uh, if you thought Zach was the best co-host or the worst co-host, tell Zach you like his thumbnails where he puts my face onto famous people. It's the best thing I do. <laughs> And with that, we're going to be finishing up. The next film, number 92, is Disney Pixar's Up, uh, which is going to be a, a bit of a change from this one, but uh, should be a good time. So, this, Zach, thank you for finally being on the show. Oh, no problem. Uh, happy to be back anytime. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we can schedule a little more easily if we get you on again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, hopefully, it won't be at New Year's again next time. Yeah. So. Hey, good call. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you for the next episode. Goodbye.